You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. Today's teaching is lesson number four from Gentle and Lowly, covering chapters eight and nine. Well, good evening. How are you? Did you have a good week? All right, all right. I hope that uh, we'll have a good time together tonight, too, as we just kind of go through these two chapters. So if you would join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us back this evening to continue our journey focused on our gentle and lowly Jesus. I ask that my words would be your words and that you will reveal to us what you want us to know. Guide our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So our key passage for chapter 8 is Hebrews 7.25, but for context, I'm going to start and read 23 to 25. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to, to him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So I'm gonna move on to verse 26. And ladies, I would like you to just soak in those words. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That's pretty powerful. (laughs) And then continuing through verse 28. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. You probably recognize recurring themes of atonement, justification, the right hand of God, and solidarity this week, as well as uttermost intercession and advocate. We mentioned before that things kind of flow together throughout this book. Let's revisit justification, which occurred in the past. For a follower of Christ, it has been done. Ortland says, this is a quote which I loved, it is the most counterintuitive aspect of Christianity that we are declared right with God, not when we begin to get our act together, but once we collapse into honest acknowledgement that we never will, unquote. He highlights the contrast between that justification, that moment in the past, when we realize that we were and are and always will be sinners with intercession, what happens now, today, at this very moment, and regarding the right hand of God. Just listen to Romans 8, 33 and 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He always lives. His eternality, his omnipresence, his omniscience, his omnipotence, he's everywhere and he knows everything and he has all power to act. He's not mortal like the high priests who lived and served in the tabernacle and later in the temple prior to his coming. So that was then, and this is now. Ortland's question was a really good one. What is Christ doing now, and did you ever think of it before? Intercession is current. It's the manifestation of his heart for his people on their behalf. 
So I got to wondering what would be a manifestation of our hearts? How might that work on the human level? This is not the best analogy because flowers are not people and flowers do not have an awareness of themselves. However, I had two dearly beloved grandmothers who both grew flowers, amazing flowers. My dad's mom, Mildred, tended her huge garden of gladiolas, which she also sold along with vegetables at her roadside farm stand. For my mom's mom, Evelyn, it was African violets, filled every square inch of a little small sun porch at the back of her home. Both of them loved and spent time with their flowers. They carefully prepared, planted, weeded, trimmed, fed, and generally enjoyed everything about their flowers. I believe their continual care and passion for flowers was a manifestation of their hearts for the beauty, aroma, and pleasure the flowers provided and the gift of sharing such beauty with others. Parenthetically, and just for the record, let's just say that I did not inherit either of my grandmother's horticultural talents. I have a certified brown thumb. It is very brown and wrinkled. Gardening, gardening to me means allergies kick in. I must slather on sunscreen and mosquitoes can find me in a crowd of hundreds. But it is what it is. My grandma's inspiration showed me a manifestation of their hearts. Christ's intercession on our behalf is light years beyond human love for flowers. Ortland describes the objective and subjective aspects of his loving intercession for us. And as our eternal high priest, his heart connects our heart to the Father's heart. He is able to save to the uttermost. When I first read this phrase, I interpreted uttermost as a distance away or highest, like to the uttermost reaches of the universe. I'm very grateful that Ortland continued to clarify. The Greek word pantales means comprehensive, complete, exhaustive, whole. I think it's multidimensional. When we consider our sins, our deepest, darkest places, it means the uttermost inside us, and it means for all time, forever. Christ was, is, and always will be. Ortland says we cannot sin our way out of his tender care, and since we are to the uttermost sinners, we need a to the uttermost savior, not halfway, not to just my less grievous sins, not only in my past or even today, but forever. Let's travel on to advocacy for us. 1 John 2.1 says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and 1 John 2.2 tells us he is the propitiation for our sins. So chapter nine is all about comparing and contrasting what Ortland calls the somewhat neglected doctrines of Christ as intercessor and Christ as advocate. He introduces the Greek word parakletos as com- comparable to the English word advocate as used in 1 John 2.1. He also provides scriptural references for the four other times the word is used referring to the Holy Spirit. We're gonna return to these in lesson six. So for now, we're just gonna focus on the powerful way it's used here referring to Jesus. Ortland reminds us that the word propitiation as a legal objective term in 1 John 2.2 means Jesus turns away the just wrath of the Father. Beyond that connotation, however, he reveals a more subjective use of the word, comparing it to Jesus' ability to feel what we feel. His sympathy, remember two weeks ago we talked about his sympathy, drawing near and then speaking to the Father on our behalf. What a beautiful picture. 
Have you ever been wrongly accused or misunderstood for something you said or you did? It's happened to me many times over the years in the workplace or with family or friends. Four instances stood out in my memory as I reflected. Two, when no one intervened or tried to help me. I explained, I tried to defend myself, but to no avail. My words only made it worse. My accusers were not about to listen. The other two were when someone did step in out of nowhere to defend me. It's a rare thing to have someone come to your defense. I was grateful beyond measure. It was the knowledge that someone I could lean on was there with me and for me. I wasn't all alone. Let's add another layer to that scenario. Have you ever been really in the wrong? Said or done something hurtful, intentionally or unintentionally? That's a horrible feeling, and I've been there as well. When a friend stands by you, regardless of what you did or said, it gives you strength. It's solidarity. Kind of like this greeting card I want to share with you, which says, it's those who stick by us we love the most. This one happens to be a birthday card, but I thought that sentiment really spoke to this solidarity with Christ, the ones who stick by us. If we love most the person who sticks by us, how much more do we love our Savior who is always there, even and especially when we are wrong? His precious blood paid the price. Ortland says it better than I could ever paraphrase. This is a quote, why is this advocate able to help us? He is righteous, he and he alone. We are unrighteous and he is righteous. Even our best repenting of our sin is itself plagued with more sin, needing more forgiveness. To come to the Father without an advocate is hopeless. To be allied with an advocate one who came and sought me out rather than waiting for me to come to him, one who is righteous in all the ways I am not, this is calm and confidence before the Father. So as Christ versus Christ as priest versus Christ as advocate, um, Bunyan gave us a really good outline. So Christ as priest goes before, continually intercedes, acts always, and acts in times of peace. Christ's advocate comes after, with great transgression, pleads, acts sometimes, only, a reserve, and acts in times of broil or broils, whichever way you would like to make that, turmoils and sharp contentions. You may or may not have reacted to Ortland's next statement that sometimes we commit big sins. The topic of small sins, excuse me, it's allergy season. The topic of small sins or big sins versus all sins are sins can trip us up if we're not careful. And it is way beyond what we can talk about tonight. It is important for us to know, however, that every sin separates us from God, but that doesn't mean all sins are equal. Many scriptures attest to this fact, delineating God's view of sins. For one example, Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that even are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. 
It is what my Savior recognizes in me that is a big sin, requiring his advocacy, whether I'm aware of this distinction or not. It's the comfort of knowing that not only does our high priest intercede continuously, but also as an advocate, he intervenes for me in the most loving and powerful way. His blood paid the price for my salvation and now he, sitting at the right hand of God, pleads for me. His advocacy speaks louder than our failures. He rises up and defends based on the merits of his own suffering and death. He is our redeemer, creator and sustainer, intercessor, and to the uttermost, our advocate. When someone you love is hurting, you do everything humanly possible, everything in your power to help. You come alongside, you intercede and advocate in an attempt to to improve your beloved situation. We are only human, but Jesus, creator, sustainer, redeemer, who also knows humanity, uses all he has and is, his death and resurrection, to plead my case and your case. My husband Jack told me many times that we can't be smart about everything, so when we encounter something we know little about, it's a really good idea to find someone who is smart about that and can help us out so it gets resolved and taken care of correctly. What a beautiful, smart, all-powerful someone we have in Jesus who lovingly and gladly does just that. I would encourage you this week, if you think or say something you know is not pleasing to the Lord, or if you even advertently hurt another human being, or if you backslide into an old habit, bring it to Christ. You who have given your lives to him, confess and repent. If by any chance you haven't given your life to him, today could be a great day. Don't wait. Talk with me or any of the WBF team or your table leader and pray to receive Christ. Then you also will have the absolute knowledge that he is already, right this moment, interceding, and when he deems it right, advocating. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for guiding us this evening. We praise your mighty name and the name of Jesus, our Savior, who paid the price and sits at your right hand this very moment, loving us by interceding and advocating. Guide us this week and teach us as we strive to walk worthy of you, fully pleasing you, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to have your table time now. Um, When we get to 8.30 or if you're done sooner, it's good to go. I'm going to be walking around with little handouts for you. I love handouts. Little handouts for you. Um, The words of these two chapters brought to mind an old hymn to me. And I originally had it on PowerPoint. I thought I'd put it up there and like we could sing it, but then I thought better of that. If I were mic'd up and we were singing, it would be disastrous. So I opted not to do that. Then I thought we could read it together, but honestly, um, when you, this is a well-known hymn, you're all gonna recognize it. And when you try to read something that you know the tune of, that gets really crazy too. And here's the third thing about this. Um, So I discovered tonight, Pam and I discovered that for next week, she was thinking about the same hymn. So I'm gonna give it to you tonight It's what a friend we have in Jesus, and you can look over the words, think about them, sing them to yourself this week. Maybe you'd like to volunteer to sing them up here next week, which would be great, but Pam's gonna be referring to it as well.